You're listening to Making Money Online with Lisa Johnson, the podcast that tells you what it really takes to build a business and the simple steps to get you there. I'm determined to share with you the reality of easy, simple business marketing tips to make passive income so that you can start making money online. Making Money Online is sponsored by Nicola J. Rowley PR, helping entrepreneurs and brands get visible through strategic storytelling. If you're serious about being seen and impacting the lives of others, harnessing the power of PR is the best way to grow and scale your business. Visit njrpr.com for more details and read Nicola's best-selling book, The Power of PR. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Making Money Online. So today we're going to talk about making money online, and we're going to talk about the fact that there is no barrier, age barrier to doing that. Because I'm here with Paula Shepherd, and Paula helps high achieving entrepreneurs who want to thrive in business, but without living on social media. I think this is such a topic that everyone's talking about at the moment, because I have so many people say, I don't want to be constantly on 24 seven, like on Facebook. And you don't have to be. And we'll talk about some of the other ways that you can do things. But first, Paula, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Oh, it's great to have you here. I want to start with the fact that you started your business at 40 years old, didn't you? I did. I still can't believe it. Yeah, people tell, I did too. And that's why I love this. Because people often say that, oh, it's too late now. You know, that people wake up, don't they? They wake up at, at 35 or 40 and they kind of go, is this it? Like they're in this normal nine to five job that they don't love. And they're like, is this it now what? But they think it's too late to do what they really want to do at that point. What made you go from what you were doing to decide actually it's not too late, I'm going to do it now? So I had a little bit of a transitional period because I really felt very isolated. I was wearing a lot of hats and none of them had anything to do with me. So <laughs> I was the mom and the wife and the daughter and the employee. And at the end of the day, there was really no time left for me. And, and I say that kind of loosely because I didn't prioritize myself, but it wasn't something that people had taught me to do. Women were supposed to be the ones that overgave in so many different ways. And I jumped into a direct sales business, which I'm no longer a part of. And what that really did for me was it allowed me to be the leader I wasn't able to be in my corporate leadership job. And it helped me dip the toes into what it looked like to prioritize myself first and do some personal development. So I was really introduced to the personal development world and the pro professional development world in a much different way than I had been exposed to in corporate America. Yeah. And once I started evolving, you know, it's like once the train starts rolling on the tracks, there's just no stopping it. And that's really where it all began. I, I didn't feel like I fit in anymore in corporate. I felt like I needed to just stop being quiet. I'm not a quiet person by nature. And I had been described as a bull in a China shop, but I was still the one that would pull up the chair on the side of the room instead of at the table, because it didn't make sense to me to sit there. No one wanted to hear what I had to say. So finding a, a place for myself that allowed me to do that in a way that made me feel cared about and wanted and needed and authentic, yeah. um, drove me further and further away from this job 
but I was being pulled back like a magnet to at the same time, because I was making well over six figures in that job and carrying the benefits for our family. And that's important in America, isn't it? Because you don't get the health care and that kind of thing. Like you need those benefits. They're important. They come with the job. Sometimes they're more important than the actual salary itself. They absolutely are. It's ridiculously expensive health health insurance and then health care if you don't have insurance is really expensive too. So yeah, it's all of those things coupled together. You know, my my husband didn't have any of those things yet. He had the job that he loved. And, you know, since then things have shifted quite a bit as I've evolved, he's evolved. But um, yeah, it was really honestly, it was kind of a strange journey, kind of looking back and it. it's it's it almost kind of feels like a dream. I made a decision that I was put on a contract as key personnel. And one of the requirements was that I was going to have to come into the office. Now, this was right before COVID had happened and we won the contract. And I knew I did not want to have to drive into the office every day because it was an hour and a half of traffic each direction. And I wanted to be there for my kids. It was really, really hard and very frustrating in a digital world for me to feel like I couldn't work from home a few days a week and I had to be stuck in an office. It felt very archaic, like I was being punished for doing a good job. And I made the decision that August 31st of 2020, come hell or high water was going to be my last day in that job. And I wound up giving my notice in May and gave them until the first week of July of that year. And you're right, it it is archaic. The way that things are in corporate now is okay. You still have to go in. I remember being told I have to sit there between nine and five, even if I finish everything by two. You know, I, I can work at a much more efficient pace than most people. And yet I still had to sit there, even if there was absolutely nothing to do. And I think that as women, especially, you know, you were high up in, you're on the executive team of the, the job that you were doing. And I think you can often feel when you have kids, that you and you're a woman that you don't fit in in the corporate role. I apologized a lot back then, which is something that I I tell people that I come across all the time, whether they're clients or not. There's no need for you to apologize in, unless you maliciously did something to me. Let's change our frame uh, of words because I was apologizing for being off because my child was sick. I was apologizing for um, not working at 11 o'clock at night when there was a proposal because I was exhausted. There were a lot of things that I was doing that honestly were so contrary to what I wanted my life to look like. I gave it all up just to work for the weekend. Yeah, because you get used to a certain thing. And when you go, you know, we're all told go to university, you know, go to college. And we're pushed into that dream. I didn't go, but we're pushed into it. And I see so many of my friends who did that and they just got on a treadmill that became normal. They didn't think about, oh, is this the job I really want? Or is this the life I really want? It just, they were just suddenly there and they opened their eyes one day and said, God, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to do this. Why am I apologizing for my very existence of being a mother and a female in a, a male orientated corporate world when I don't have to be? But that's not to say that when you decide, well, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, I did the same thing. It's terrifying because you have all of this pressure of the things that you already have and that you've already built and you're giving all of that up for something that at the time you have no idea if it will work. You just said that so well. I, I don't even think I could say it any better because I 
felt the same way, right? I worked really hard to get the title. I worked really hard to get that salary. And there were people that had never seen that kind of money before. And here I was throwing it all away, right? I was throwing everything away that other people really wanted. And honestly, it was something that I had tried really hard for, for years and years and years, and many times had been looked over right? Because I was 40, right? I wasn't 30. I was 40. And I watched other people get jobs over me when maybe they weren't quite as qualified based on relationships. And I did learn a lot there, but I, I did leave it. I left it and it was scary. It was really scary because it forced me to create a situation where failure was not an option for me. And I mean, I threw money at coaches and things that maybe looking back weren't the best fit, but they were the way that I was able to skyrocket as quickly as I did. And I think some of it honestly was a bit toxic on my part because I had, I felt like I needed to prove it. I needed to prove not just to myself, but to other people that it was okay that I left my job. See, I'm, I'm all right. Versus doing it in a way that felt less hectic and created less anxiety in my life. I know what you mean, because there is that pressure at the beginning to prove that you did the right thing. And I think sometimes we're proving it to ourselves as well, that we, it's okay that we did it. We did the right thing, but yeah, it is scary. And I think sometimes that fear and people tell you not to have the fear, the fear can push you into making something non-negotiable If you need to make money, if you need to survive, you do. You find a way. You make it non-negotiable and you do. You know, I have plenty of clients who don't need to make money. And so they won't always do all of the things that are necessary that you need to do that might be uncomfortable to make the money because they don't need it. Whereas the ones that I have that, hey, have to do it, you know, they can't be wasting the money. It has to work they will do the things that are necessary to be done. And so sometimes I think that fear is a push. Yeah, it is a push. Uh, And I'm high achieving by nature, which can also be dangerous, right? Because there's a lot of perfectionism that comes up behind that. I'm my own worst competition. You know, I don't like to compete with other people, but I certainly (laughs) compete with myself all the time. And I definitely will never arrive because I'm always looking for that next thing. As soon as I evolve and I hit it, I'm like, all right, what's next? What's next? What's next? So I have to keep myself in check. Yeah, we're very similar. (laughs) (laughs) So you decided to set up on your own business. And what did you decide to do first? Who did you start helping? And how did you know they were the people you were going to start helping? So- I transitioned out of my direct sales position and I actually started helping people that were within leadership positions in that business just because they could work from anywhere they were. So their phone was glued to their hand all the time. Um, Here they were preaching to everyone. And this is goes into any industry, but this is just happens to be where I started. They were literally creating their own personal prism. They were recreating the thing that they wanted to leave or that they had already left. And so I started, the reason underneath of that was a lack, truly a lack of confidence. They really didn't understand the business structure and fundamentals and foundations, which so many people I feel like online are are skipping over completely just to head to marketing and sales. And I really wanted to help people feel like they could start out feeling really good and strong and that they had a leg up because they knew who they were 100%. So I started 
I marketed myself as a confidence coach in the beginning. People didn't really buy confidence. I just happened to know people. That's why, that's why I was able to sign clients is through my, my relationships. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Like when we talk about not wanting to be glued to social media and people tell me this all the time, I really want an online business, but I don't want to be on Facebook 24 seven and I'm not on Facebook 24 seven. And, you know, there there are plenty of ways that you can look as if you're on Facebook 24 seven, but not be on it at all. And I think people see others who are always there or it seems they're always there and so they feel they have to be and that's the only way to make a business work but actually that's massively draining and it's not at the beginning especially the best way to make money personal relationships which you're obviously an expert in you know you did relationship sales you now teach people how to have these personal relationships How do people start with that? Because we're almost fearful of talking to people these days. And instead, we like to shout a bit on social media. We're fearful of actually having conversations. So how do you even start? So the first thing that I ask people to do is I'm like, who do you know? Who do you know? Without ever getting on social media, who do you know that you could tell that you're doing this? Because that proclamation is so much more powerful than being a keyboard warrior, which is what my husband coined that term. I did not make it up. But sitting behind the screen and hand jamming something in and hitting post and hoping that somebody magically is going to come into your inbox, this idea of magnetic marketing. Now, I do think that there is there are ways to create content that attract people, but you have to know how to communicate with those people once they're in your world. And the best way for you to do that is look at the people that are already there because we're so busy. What I realize with others, and I do this sometimes too, we get really caught up in looking at everything on the periphery that there's stuff that if we just look down is right at our feet. And those are people that have always been in our world. The people that would support us, maybe they're not going to buy anything from us, but they're happy to share something, whether it's a podcast or a piece of content, or they know someone. And I, I just think that looking around at what is already there is a great place to start before you complicate it with social media. Yeah. I feel like people are afraid to ask for help. So When people first start, I always say to people, when you first start, your friends and your family are the people that you're going to tell first about the new thing that you are doing. Or, you know, people that you knew from your old job, you're going to tell them about the new thing that you now do, which is your business. And they're scared to ask for help because it looks like in some way they need a, they, they need you know, an extra push or they've failed in some way. And actually that isn't the case. Everybody who starts a business starts with asking people for help sharing their thing. Yeah. And I don't know why the fear- It's just asking. I think um, this idea of of asking for help and self-advocating particularly, well, you know what? I think it's for both men and women, right? If we we look at it across the board, I was going to say for women, but I think really for, for men and women has historically been a sign of weakness. And, um, and so helping decondition people from that and letting them see that advocating for yourself is actually a really powerful way of communicating and demonstrating that you are in fact a leader, because if we're all walking around pretending like we know what we're doing and really, truly, we have no idea, how does that help us serve people? How does it help us carry out our mission or our movement? It doesn't, we're just like, a bunch of little bobbleheads moving around. It doesn't work. And so really helping people to understand that advocating for yourself and for others 
is really an important, crucial part of communicating effectively. Yeah, and I think that how that starts is, certainly in my case, is dropping your ego. I think we're so ego-led that if we can just get to a stage where we go, actually, if I just drop the ego, ask for the things I need help with, admit to the things I don't know, then we fly. Because once that ego isn't there, there's nothing stopping us anymore from being who we truly are. But I think it can be hard to drop that ego, especially if you've come from corporate where the only thing leading are egos. And then suddenly you're in a place where you can be a bit more vulnerable and talk to people about what you really need and who you really are and the challenges that you're really facing can be difficult. Yeah. I think the difference between corporate and being an entrepreneur is someone else hands you the process and says, this is how it's going to be. And, and for the most part, you don't get buy-in you there's no ownership for you over that process and modifying it and making it better. It just is. I won't say for every business, right? There's some that have really great cultures. Um, I've seen a lot about your business and you have really great culture with your team, it seems. But with our, when you're starting out, especially in the beginning as a solopreneur, thinking about how you envision your business to look and what that culture is going to be like, and really being a living, breathing example is really hard when someone else has always told you how it was going to be. And suddenly you're like the cheese stands alone. There you are standing, hoping that, you know, you're going to come up with some brilliant idea of how it's supposed to all work when you have no idea what you're doing in the first place. It's, (laughs) it's thrilling and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. And the thrilling part is you get to make your business life exactly what you want it to be, which is a brilliant thing to do, because I think most of us don't actually think about what do I want life to look like? and then build our business or our career around it, we just fall into it. And so it's great when we suddenly have this opportunity at age 40 to go, well, actually, what do we want life to look like? Let's build a business around making sure that the life looks like that. And that's a, that's a great thing. And I'm glad we can do that. So if somebody comes to you, like, I'm, I'm, my business is going okay, but I'm on social media all the time. I would like to find a different way of doing things. What are the tips that you then tell people to do? Well, the first thing that I ask people to do is create a list, right? Because if we're always on social media mining clients, you have it wrong in the first place because there are a variety of different ways that you can create relationships. And if you're stepping onto social media, which most people are, and are looking at how we're going to find a client or chase a client or magnetize a client, you're missing out on opportunities to create really beautiful joint venture partnerships, referral partnerships, and honestly, great friendships. So being open to who the people are that you know, and how you can just genuinely serve them is really important. So I ask people to just write down a list, write down a list of all of the people that you love talking to online, write down a list of all of the people that are in your world, if they're not online, um, that you've had some kind of contact with and come up with a plan to maintain that connection in some way that serves them and you. It's never fun to be in a relationship that's not reciprocal, right? Where you feel like you're giving and giving and giving and never getting anything back in return but you have to start somewhere and then find a way to communicate with them that isn't online. Maybe it's an email. Maybe you have their address and you can send them a handwritten note. Most people aren't getting anything in the mail except for junk these days. So getting a handwritten note, 
Isn't it lovely when you get a gift or a note like that in the mail? It makes such a big difference to a day when you get a handwritten note. And you remember the person a lot more than if they emailed you, I'll tell you that. Absolutely. And I will say the thing that changed my business is this sentence is how can I support you today? And then I did it. You know, I would ask that question genuinely to people, whether it was in DMs, I stopped looking online and I would just go into DMs or I would send an email. And then I would just say, Hey, I saw that you just started this podcast. It looks really amazing. I listened to the first couple of episodes and I'm just so excited for what this is going to bring for you. I've already shared it with a few people. How can I, how else can I support you today? And just getting a message like that. And most people then will reciprocate. Oh my gosh, that's amazing that you did that. I would love it if you could share it with these people. How can I support you in return? And so it starts to create a level of trust. And I step away from the, you know, that no like and trust factor. And I think of it as um, no trust and respect factor. Because if we, if we lean into people liking us and not having that respect, we lose our own standards and boundaries, what I like to call rules of engagement. So create that list of people that you already know that you enjoy having conversations with. Start with the small list because it's quality over quantity and know that for every single one of those people, there's two to five people that they can connect you with. And that doesn't require you to be on social media at all. That's such a great way of thinking. And I love the no trust and respect it is a different way of thinking about things because in the one hand, we're being told not to be people pleasers every five seconds. And then in the other hand, we're told to make sure people like us. <laughs> which is, Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Which, <laughs> and who doesn't? We all want a sense of belonging, right? And it becomes very much like being in seventh grade. And, and I know that you had a lot of, I've heard your stories and, and how vulnerably you share about bullying. And I can't say that I was ever bullied, but I was definitely picked on. I think we were all picked on at some um, point in time. And there are things that feel really damaging. And I think those come back all of the time where I look online and when you see someone that's doing really well, and it feels very like a popularity contest. We're kind of taken back to that. It can feel like, well, I have to make people like me or they don't like me as much as them versus, you know what? I don't need to show up like that all the time. I don't want my clients to have to do that all the time. That's not why I started my business in the first place. What do my values say? And that's where I'm aligning myself from. And and that feels so much nicer and calmer and easier to manage than constantly trying to be part of the popularity contest, which I've never tried to be part of. And I really couldn't give a crap about, especially online. (laughs) Um, It's just not something that I'm interested in, but I see how my clients are affected um, and how they want to be. And so they're trying to be liked all the time. And actually it is more about respect than like, and I love that way of thinking about it. I love this conversation. I'm really happy that there are ways and there are people that are teaching those ways to do things in a different way to be able to go and build those real relationships, those real connections from a genuine place of serving others rather than what can I get out of this, which aligns amazingly to my values. I I love that way of doing things. So thank you for telling us all about this today. I would love to tell my listeners where they can come and hang out with you because I think you're going to have a very positive influence on them. So where is the best place for them to follow you? 
Oh my goodness. I would love for you to follow me in my Facebook community, which is called I am becoming. So if you just search, be fearless with Paula on pretty much any platform, you're going to find me. Brilliant. I'll drop that into the show notes as well. Thank you for coming on today. It's been lovely to chat to you. It's been great to have you guys listen as well. I will put something in the fabulous 5% because I think it's a really good conversation to talk about age and why there really is no barrier to when you can start. I've had 75-year-olds that are starting with me. You know, there is no barrier anymore. Um, So let's have a conversation about that over there. And I will see you next week for the next edition of Making Money Online. Thank you for listening to Making Money Online with Lisa Johnson. If you'd like to get hold of my guide to launching, go to lisajohnson.com forward slash launch and let's get you making money online.